Grace Church. Welcome to everyone. It's so good to see you here on campus. Um, why don't you look at your neighbor and just tell them, say, is, or ask them, say, is that a new hairdo you've got tonight? Those of you joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, it is good to see you. Or we're, <laughs> you're seeing us. It's glad that we're glad that you have uh, chosen to join us and be a part of our service tonight. We know it'll be a blessing to you. There's also kids service going on, kids church going on upstairs. So just a lot of excitement, a lot of great things going on on campus tonight, and we're thankful for that. And we know it'll be a blessing to you. I do want to. Uh, start tonight by just reminding you of a couple of things and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and uh, then we're going to get right into the word of God if that is okay with you. Um, a couple of things coming up uh, this weekend and in the, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, certainly want the gentlemen in the room to remember we have men's prayer at 9 o'clock this Saturday in the Alexander Center. And so we want you to come and be a part of that, uh, all of our men, our young men too. I'm just going to look right down over here at you and remind you that we want our young men to be at prayer if you possibly can. Um, also, we've been announcing, want to continue to remember Ukraine. Remember them in your, remember Ukraine in your prayers as well, especially the churches, the pastors, the missionaries, the relief workers, all, all of that situation. We want to lift up to the Lord in prayer. And then also you can give. Uh, on the website, on the on the tab, uh, if you go to missions, and then a, there's a sub-tab under missions for the Ukraine, and you can be a part of that. Thank you for all that have already given and already been a part of that. We appreciate it, and, and it goes to such a very good and worthy cause. And then we mentioned Sunday. I want to mention again, April 1st and April 2nd is a work day at the campground in Tioga. It's a, they're calling it a public dorm work day. Uh, painters are needed, basic carpentry skills, cleaning crews. If any of that is in your skill set and you want to be a part of the cleaning day and the repair day at Tioga on the 1st and 2nd, see Sister Sheila in the office or give her a call. She can give you all the information you need there. And then really excited, really excited to announce uh, the first three Sundays in April, Brother Greg Albritton, Albritton will be ministering in those services, that's April 3rd, 10th, and 17th. Uh, bring somebody with you. Uh, bring somebody with you in any service, but especially these services, of course, or um, with a special speaker, just a good time to get a little momentum and bring somebody with you, tell them about the good things that God's doing. Haven't we been blessed here over the last, oh, I don't know, many Sundays, the last, maybe since the first of the year at least, huh? It has just been building, the momentum is there. God's doing some great things. Before we go to the Lord, uh, before we go to the Word of God, I'd like to pray. Open the service with prayer. Open the Word of God with prayer. So, would you stand with me tonight for just a moment? And uh, Pastor and Sister Murphy are at District Conference, uh, and and so we want to pray for that event. Pray for that conference that God would bless. And then it it concludes Friday night. The conference concludes Friday night with the statewide youth rally. And uh, we're going to be taking a group of our students up there, be, uh, be a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of excitement. And, but more than that, we want God to move in that service. So let's pray that God would bless District Conference, move in their sessions, but also on the Friday night session, that he would bless our students. 
and, uh, and I believe he will hear our prayer. Amen? Let's do that together. Jesus, we enter into your gates with thanksgiving. We enter into your courts with praise. You are so good to us, God, and it is great to be here in your presence on this campus, on this night. I pray you be with us tonight, Lord. Anoint our minds and our hearts to receive your word. I pray you'd anoint uh, every student of the word, everyone that has come with an open mind and an open heart to receive of your word. Lord, you, you, you never disappoint. Your word never returns void. And so tonight I know you're going to be with us. I pray for district conference, Lord. I pray for the decisions that will be made in those sessions. I pray, Lord, that vi fresh vision and fresh power would be imparted to our pastors and our evangelists and our, our missionaries that will be in those sessions. I pray for the Friday night uh, statewide youth rally, God, that you would uh, empower our students, Lord, empower the preaching of the word, the singing, and, and that we would leave that service uh, revitalized and revived to share the gospel, to preach the gospel, to, to go into all the world and share the good news. Let it be done in Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Thank you for your prayers, and I believe the anointing is with us tonight. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to, to open them. If you have your iPad, iPhone, uh, whatever, I invite you to open it to the Word of God app, or of course it'll be on the screen uh, here as we read. And I do like to, every once in a while, just interject, uh, if we haven't said it in a while, we do encourage you to bring your physical Bible to church. Um, I like having one around, even though everything's on my iPad. It's just, it's good to have the Word of God in physical form. So we want everybody, uh, if you remember and think about it, please bring your Bibles to church. I think it's just a good habit to have. I had uh, one, of my, one of my uncles, not pastor, but years ago, one of my uncles said, you ought to bring your Bible to church because you wouldn't go to battle without bringing a sword. And uh, so I thought, I've never forgotten that. I thought that was pretty good. So... You want to bring your sword to battle with you. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to read from 41 to 45 there in 1 Kings 18. Probably a very familiar passage, probably one we've heard preached from many times. Um, but tonight I'd like to talk to you from this foundation and this thought. Um, I, I hope that it, it uh, complements what God has been doing over the last few weeks in our Sunday services. And I hope it, in some ways it will complement the last time I spoke on a Wednesday night, kind of picking up uh, in some ways from that thought. And hopefully there will be a, a congruency there and uh, we'll just see what God has for us tonight. I want to encourage you tonight. I want to encourage myself tonight. And uh, hopefully that will happen here from the Word of God. 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 41 uh, here we pick up the story of Elijah and Ahab. Uh, the Bible says, Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he, the servant, went up and looked and said, there is nothing. So there, the, the servant sees absolutely nothing here at first. And Elijah said, go up seven times. So seven more times he sends the servant back. And it came to pass on the seventh time, or at the seventh time, that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, 
like a man's hand. And Elijah said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. So we go from seeing nothing at the beginning to a great rainstorm at the end. So very powerful miracle here, very powerful promise fulfilled in answer to prayer. So from this setting tonight, this scripture setting, I'd like to just talk to us for a little while from the subject, what you see is what you get. Have you ever heard that, that saying, what you see is what you get? I, I looked it up uh, yesterday in the... Um, Kind of in the IT world, I guess it is, in computer speak, they call it uh, WYSIWYG, which is the acronym. What you see is what you get. And so let's just talk about that because it's true what you see, whether you see negative circumstances, whether you see doubt, whether you see seemingly the absence of God moving on your behalf, or if you see potential, promise, the potential for answered prayer. Whichever way you choose to look at your circumstance or to look at your dream or to look at your prayer, to look at your faith, whichever way you look at that, a lot of times and most times what we see is in fact what we will get. So I don't know if you know this or not, but on October the 30th, 1938, the United States was in fact invaded by Martians. This was documented. It's, it's, uh, we know it because CBS News had live reports from firsthand eyewitness accounts of people that were there and saw the invasion. Um, the, uh, the, the live radio uh, was, was uh, broadcast. Uh, the, the, the panic that ensued in the general population was well documented as well. According to the reports from October 30th, 1938, Martians landed at Grover's Mill, New Jersey. And they actually would have taken over the entire United States and all of the world, but there were the, uh, they were not able to withstand the pathogenic germs. They had no immunity to the germs here on earth, and so it killed them and kept them from taking over the entire world. Does anybody believe that? If it sounds a little fishy and far-fetched, well, that is true. It is, it is far-fetched and a little bit... Uh, out of, of line with true, true events. What actually happened that night on October 30th, 1938, is now the stuff of legend, and it has gone down as one of the most infamous moments in broadcast history. There was a radio program at the time called the Mercury Theater on Air, and there was an up-and-coming talented broadcaster by the name of Orson Welles, and together they did a 60-minute Halloween special, uh, which was an audio dramatization on the radio live of the novel uh, by H.G. Wells, no relation to Orson, but they did a, a radio adaptation of the novel by H.G. Wells called The War of the Worlds. Orson Wells directed and performed in the radio drama, and it tells the story of Martians invading the United States. They were definitely planning to be sensational with the broadcast. There was no doubt they were trying to generate some sort of sensation. And the realism was added to because 
the broadcast only mentioned that it was fiction right at the very beginning and then two more times right towards the end. But by the time, at that point, there was so much panic going on, it, 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 was, it fell on deaf ears. That part was missed. The other thing that made it so real is they, they did it as a, as a simulated news bulletin, meaning every once in a while they would say, we interrupt this broadcast to bring you a news bulletin. You know, Martians are now progressing, you know, on their invasion. So it sounded very official. It sounded very real. Additionally, it was what was called a sustaining show, which meant there were no commercial breaks. It just went straight through the, the full 60 minutes. So people that, uh, people that were channel surfing through the radio, if you will, came upon the, um, came upon the, the broadcast kind of as it was already started. And there was nothing, there was nothing to, to, to indicate that it was simulated or that it was a, a drama or that it was fiction. And so this part is true. It really did cause a lot of panic. People, uh, in a lot of cases, fled their homes. They started calling CBS News. They called the police station, government authorities. And in one part of the United States, in a place called Concrete, Washington, coincidentally, very coincidentally, there was a power failure at the substation that caused that part of the town to go, or that town to go completely dark. So you can imagine the panic that was going on in that part of the United States or that, that little sub-area of the United States. So again, in fact, it was just an audio dramatization of the story by H.G. Wells. Martians did not, attack, or did not invade the United States. But for about 60 minutes, a large portion of the United States thought that that was, in fact, what was happening. And again, it has gone down in broadcast history. But understand that that, that presentation, that, that uh, audio drama, that radio broadcast was a cleverly produced lie. Now, I'm using the term lie. Uh, that's probably a little strong. They weren't purposely trying to tell people lies. But fundamentally, that's what it was. It, it was an untruth. It was a fictional account, if you will. But for those that happened upon that broadcast, those that that listened to it, those that experienced the panic and the, the, the ensuing mayhem for them, for that moment of time, it was very, very real. I guess you could say it like this. They painted, the, the, uh, Orson Welles and the broadcasters painted such a compelling picture of these Martians invading the United States that people bought into that deception. They bought into that lie. And in some cases, they acted upon it. It has been said that perception is reality. I ran into this some time ago in a business setting that somebody had a, a negative perception of me and in some ways of our company, and it wasn't true. What, they didn't have all the facts. They're, in fact, they had the wrong facts. But their perception was such that it was their reality. It was their truth, even though uh, it really was not congruent with reality. And so that's why I tell you tonight, what we see is what we get a lot of times. A lot of times our, our interpretation of the facts, our perception, the way we, the grid uh, or the lens through which we choose to observe facts or to interpret data is in fact that reality, that truth for us, whether or not it is grounded in reality or not. And before long we begin 
to, to project and impose upon our opinion that we have, that we have come, uh, come to, uh, we begin to impose upon that even more facts, whether they're true or not, and more facts. And before long, we've built a whole case for our way of thinking and our way of perceiving, even if that may not be the 100% accurate way. So tonight I want to ask you as we progress through this message and progress through our, our, our topic tonight, I want to ask you to do some inventory and be thinking about in your own life, what is it you see when it comes to your dreams, when it comes to your calling, when it comes to your faith, when it comes to prayers that you were praying, what do you see? Do you see uh, unanswered, the, the, the potential for unanswered prayer? Do you see negative circumstances? Do you see dreams that you think will never be realized? Do you, do you, do you see a hope that you're holding on to that, that may never come to pass? Or do you see the seedbed, the, the opportunity, the, 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 the um, aligning of circumstances for God to work in powerful ways? Because you can, in most of our lives, you can look at it either way. And so I want to challenge you tonight to look through the eyes of faith. Look through the eyes of promise. Look through the grid of the reality that with God, nothing is impossible. I talked uh, last time on a Wednesday night about uh, God-given dreams and God-given vision. And, and in a lot of ways tonight, that's how I want to apply uh, our, our topic tonight is that if, if you have a vision for your life, and everybody should, that's kind of was the, the, uh, the, the whole point of my message last time, is that everybody should have God-given dreams and God-given vision. There, there should be something you're wanting to accomplish in life, but also in the kingdom of God. And, and so I want you to know tonight that, um, that when it comes to dreams, when it comes to vision, what you see is what you get. What you see, if you think that you can't, then you're probably right. But if you think that you can, you're probably right. And so it's very important how we view this and how we look at this. So let me talk to you a few minutes just about dreams and about vision, and then we're going to come back and, and apply this. The, the human capacity to dream, the human capacity to believe that things can change, that things could be different, is absolutely one of the things that, that keeps us alive, I would argue. It's one of the things that keeps us moving forward. It's one of the things that keeps us facing every day to believe that we could wake up tomorrow and things could be different. To wake up tomorrow and that things could be better. It's what ignites passion in us, that dream, that, that picture of the future, that vision is what should ignite a passion within each and every one of us. Somebody said, and I think it's very worth repeating, that what... Faith is to the daytime, a dream is to the night. What faith is to the daytime, a dream is to the night. And I like that because we, we associate dreams with sleeping in the night. But in this sense, dreams often are what sustain us through a night season in our lives. When things are dark, when, when things are discouraging, when it, we're going through a time where it seems like God's not hearing our prayer. It's a, it's a compelling dream. It's a compelling vision that can keep us going until we get out of that season into the dawn of what God wants to do. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, I think it's a very compelling chapter, and, and long, uh, somewhere right around verse 24 or so, he says, we are saved by hope. 
He says we're saved by hope. And he's applying that, of course, to the faith that we have in Jesus Christ to be filled with the Holy Ghost and redeemed and baptized in Jesus' name. It takes faith to do that. It takes hope to do that, hope in our salvation. But I would apply that tonight as well, that hope is what saves us in the sense that hope is what keeps us going. Dreams are what keeps us going. Uh, a, a dream fulfilled will give you energy and give you more passion to dream more and to dream bigger dreams. And, and so I would say tonight a hope uh, and a dream fulfilled is as necessary to life as breathing. Again, it's what keeps us going. But what happens when the dream stealer comes around? What, what happens when life puts a damper on those dreams or, or, or our own mind, our own, our own carnality can talk us out of that dream, that goal, that faith? What happens when the enemy of our soul talks us out of that dream or that calling or that faith? One of the most compelling or some of the most compelling words written along this line I want to share with you is a poem written by George William Curtis. And he said this, he said, I walked beside the evening sea and I dreamed a dream that could not be. The waves that plunged along the shore said only, dreamer, dream no more. And I think that's a good way to sum up sometimes the... the the, um, just the animosity that comes against a dreamer, the, the negativity that can come against someone who has a passion on the inside. That's what life wants to do is kill our dreams, discourage us, disappoint us. But again, tonight, we can, we can allow our dreams to be stolen, our vision to be ruined. We can allow ourselves to become discouraged because... Maybe in your life, what you're praying for, what, what you see, or what you're asking God to do, you haven't seen come to pass yet. We can allow ourselves to be discouraged about that. Or we can choose to see through the eyes of faith. And so tonight, again, I'm going to ask you, what do you see? What do you see? I'm going to ask you tonight to join with me and look through the eyes of faith. Past whatever the current reality may be. Past whatever the current... Uh, discouragement may be and let's choose to focus on what God is doing in our lives in our homes and in our church and in our community I choose to still have vision I choose to still dream dreams I I choose to believe that God really is bringing his kingdom to this earth I choose to believe that there really is revival that's still going to be poured out and I I choose to believe that God still has this whole world in the palm of his hand. It doesn't really matter what the, what's going on in political strata. It doesn't really matter what's going on with wars and, and upheaval and social upheaval and all those things. God is still in control. He still has this whole world in the palm of his hand. And I choose to look through the eyes of faith and see him work and see him move. I think one of the greatest illustrations of this, really, we, and I think it's great because we've all experienced it, we've all seen it, but look where we are tonight as a church, as a community, as a movement uh, here in, in this area, in, the, in Central. Look where we are tonight as compared to two years ago. Remember how discouraging that was? 
and how difficult that was with quarantine. And, and I remember very distinctly what it was like to stand here and talk to the camera with nobody sitting where you're sitting tonight. And we couldn't have any kind of social events on campus. The, you know, all the wonderful things we're doing with the youth group and in all the other areas of our church that we're experiencing now. We couldn't do any of those things for a period of time. And then when we came back, it seemed like it was just a, a real challenge to get going again and to get momentum again. And, and, it, and it, it, would have, it, it was real easy to get discouraged in those days, in those times, really almost a two-year period. It was, it was easy to get, to get our eyes on that and say, when will this end? When will, when will we ever see uh, really the momentum and the move of God like we really dream about and like what we really want to see and what we believe God has promised, what we, what we believe is rightfully our, ours and, and really surely God wants to move in, in a great capacity in our church. But we just weren't seeing it. The circumstances were not congruent with it. It was dark. The clouds had gathered and it was just sheer faith to get going and to get moving and to keep coming and, and speaking and preaching and teaching every time just to a camera. But we did it. We did it. And we kept, we kept faith and we kept dreaming and we kept, we kept believing. And so look at now this amazing momentum that we have, this amazing move of God. You, you add it up and you see what God is doing through every area of our church. And we, we, we feel the power, we feel the favor of God. We feel like God is really, we're like we can see him again and we can see his hand working and we, we, can, we can see him moving and we're following very closely. That's a wonderful illustration of what I'm talking about tonight. That even in dark times, even in challenging circumstances, even when there seems to be really no evidence for hope, to believe that there's no evidence to believe that things could ever be different, to choose to see through the eyes of faith, to choose to keep dreaming God-sized dreams, to choose to keep uh, praying amazing, big, faith-filled prayers and trusting that one day you'll wake up and the tables will turn and that God really will move because what you see is what you get. I think probably the greatest example in Scripture is this, is this story that we read here tonight, this Bible setting, this this, uh, this amazing miracle through the, hand, through the prayers in the hands of Elijah that we read. So I imagine we all know the backstory here tonight, but let me just touch on it quickly. Elijah had prayed that there would be no, land, uh, be no rain in the land, and there was no rain in the land for three and a half years. Have you ever considered all of the implications of there being no rain in a nation for three and a half years? I mean, yeah, that means there's no drinking water for, for us, for you, for me. For the citizens, but think about this: there's also no drinking water for the livestock. There's no water for the crops. There's no, you know, hydration in any way, shape, or form. So, not only are you thirsty, but you're you're not you don't have livestock to provide food. You don't have crops to provide food. So quickly, it turns into a famine. It's not just the the drought, but it's the famine. And so this is tough on a nation. And now the Bible doesn't really say this, but I think the context of the, of the story, there's enough there. I think the people were blaming Ahab. He was the king. And I think it was, I think it was getting really uh, challenging for him 
to keep explaining to his people why there was no rain and why there was a famine. So he in turn blamed Elijah, the prophet. And he was kind of had a bounty on Elijah and, and wanted, to, uh, wanted to take him out. And so that's where we're at. There's no rain. There's, there's three and a half years now of drought and famine. And um, it's a bad situation. I think they were blaming Ahab. Ahab's blaming Elijah, puts a bounty, bounty on him. And then Elijah makes the prophets of Baal look foolish with the little episode on Mount Carmel where they can't call fire down from heaven, but he does call fire down from heaven from the one true God. The one thing I would ask you to consider about that is the Bible says that Elijah had him pour water on the altar to drench it real good before the fire fell, I would like to know where he got all that water because there was a drought, there was a famine, there was no rain. Maybe he got it from the sea or the ocean. I don't know. But Bible scholars, that would be a great question for you to, to study into. But then when we pick up the story tonight, now Elijah has told his servant that the, it's about to turn. There's going to be... Now the rain, it's going to return and there's going to be uh, uh, the miracle. The rain is going to fall. But I, I want to highlight the fact that the first seven times, or the first six times that the, that the servant went and looked, he saw nothing. He saw nothing. And then on the seventh time, he saw just that cloud the size of a man's hand. And, and when he saw that, when he saw just a little bit, it wasn't, the, it wasn't a storm system like came through uh, the south yesterday. It wasn't a whole line of thunderstorms. It wasn't a hurricane. The cloud it quickly turned into a horizon full of storm clouds, but right at that moment it was not. It was just the cloud the size of a man's hand. But that was enough for Elijah. And he told the servant, he said, Go tell Ahab, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. If you don't hurry, Ahab, if you don't go quickly you're going to be overtaken by the storm and you're going to get caught in it if you don't hurry. And so what I, what I would say here is that, is that the, um, for the prophet and then by extension the servant, that what they saw was what they got. When Elijah saw, when the servant saw that cloud the size of a man's hand, he got a storm. He got the rain. He got the promise. When, when Elijah heard that there was a little cloud, he, that, that was enough to supercharge his faith. That was enough for him to know that the promise was coming, that the miracle was on his way. So I, wanna, I want you to apply that tonight to your life. You may be in a place that seems like you're in, a, in your life, in your family, your home, your walk with God. Maybe you feel like you're in a drought, a spiritual drought. Maybe it just seems like there's not a whole lot happening. Maybe your finances aren't what they need to be. Maybe a sickness of some kind has invaded your home and invaded your family. Maybe doubt and anxiety are plaguing your mind. If that's all you see, if that's all you focus on, that's all you will ever get. But I want to challenge you tonight, just keep looking. If you can somehow stretch yourself in the spirit, to see with eyes of faith, like that prophet, like that servant, to see that your, the empty canvas of your life really is all God needs to begin painting and working His masterpiece 
in your life. Don't forget, we're talking about the God that spoke into the void in Genesis chapter 1 and said, let there be and there was. This is a God that specializes in working with nothing. This is a God that does very well with what seems like nothing in our lives. God is not intimidated by darkness, by dark days, by dark seasons, by dark times, by the night of our life. He's not intimidated by those things at all. I find it so encouraging and so um, just faith building. In John chapter 1, we quote the scripture a lot that says, the light shined in the darkness. But the last part of that says, the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness did not understand the light. When, when uh, John is saying that when Jesus came, he was the light of the world, and the darkness could not comprehend him. It could not understand it. And so I want you to know when God gets ready to move in your life, when God says it's time, whatever darkness you're feeling or facing, whatever night season you're in, it can't comprehend the light of God when he shines in your life. It can't comprehend, it, it can't, one, one version says the darkness did not overcome the light. It can't, the darkness can't, it's no match for the light. So what I'm saying is, is that when God speaks, when God moves, when God works, when he responds to faith, there's nothing that can stop it. There's nothing that can stop the move of God in your life. So I want to challenge you tonight, stand on the word of God. Stand on the promises of God and choose to look through the eyes of faith. Choose to view your circumstance through the eyes of faith. Choose to look at your life through the grid of the promises of the word of God. And I can guarantee you that God will move in the season, in the proper time. When the time of, 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 of drought and famine is over, God will come and move in your life. There's another way... So there's another way to look at this, at this story, at, at this setting. And that is this. If, if, if you had stepped into that narrative, let's say that, let's say that the prophet, let's say that the servant saw the cloud the size of a man's hand. Let's say that Elijah has told the servant to go tell Ahab that you better hurry or you're going to get overtaken by rain. And let's say then that as Ahab is galloping away, as I imagine it, maybe he's in his chariot and he is riding as quickly as he can. Now the storm clouds are starting together on the horizon. Those dark, dark storm clouds, there's lightning, there's thunder. And let's say at that very moment, you walk into the story. So you've stepped into the story at this point. You see a king fleeing riding like the wind, and you see a storm just getting ready to rage. You might think that this is a really, really bad thing. You might say, oh my goodness, look at this storm. This is going to be an EF3 event. This is going to be, you know, the grids, the hashtag grids on the radar. You know, that make everything worse for some reason. And this is going to be so bad. And this is a very negative circumstance. 
But that would just be you as an outside observer having stepped into the story, and you would be wrong. That would be an incorrect assessment. That would be an incorrect knowledge or, or opinion or perspective. Because as we've already read, the truth is, is that storm, that rain system, was actually the fulfillment of the promise. That was actually the miracle. That was actually the answer to prayers that had been prayed for three and a half years that God would send rain. So do you see how what you see is what you get? Do you see how it's so easy to have the wrong perspective? So easy that you could be looking at this thing the entire wrong way. So I want to ask you tonight in your life, are they storm clouds or are they promise clouds? Is the, is the storm in your life, the thing you're going through, the, the night season in your life, is it a storm or is it the opportunity for God to show up in a really big way? Is it the opportunity for God to do some really miraculous things in your life and prove himself to you in a way that maybe you've never experienced before? Are they storm clouds or are they promise clouds? Depends on how you look at it, isn't it? And what you see is what you get. If you see it as a storm, you're going to get a storm. But if you see it as a promise, if you see it as an opportunity, then God has that, or you have that faith that God can respond to and turn it around and work it for your good. I pray tonight that God would open our eyes and let us see truly through his perspective and truly see it to get past the doubt. To, to, you, you know, we can talk ourselves, let, let me switch just a little bit, just for a moment here and talk. When, when God calls you to do something, or when he births in you a dream, a passion, there's some ministry area that you want to contribute to the church in. There's, there's this, this burning desire that you, you want to do. We, we can really easily talk ourselves out of our dreams. We can talk ourselves out of our callings. We, we, they're, they're, you know, you know, you know the, the, the things we say to ourselves. You know, I, I'm not talented enough. I'm not good enough. My ideas never work. My ideas always fall flat. Oh, maybe that really wasn't God that spoke to me. Maybe that was just me. Maybe I was just overzealous. Maybe that was just what I thought was a good idea. But it, and we can go right down that path. Seeing through the wrong lens, seeing through the wrong eyes, and talk ourselves out of doing something awesome for God, when, when all we've got to do is turn that around and say, oh yeah, God did call me, and if he called me, he's going to equip me. He's going to equip me, and if he equips me, then we're going to do some really awesome things for the kingdom of God. And, and, and yeah, I can, do the, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And, and yeah, this is a God-given burden, and this is a God-given vision. And, and I know that I didn't just make this up, and I know that God spoke to me, and I know that he gave me a burden, and that I, I wept, and I cried, and I felt the Holy Ghost. You know, it's, it's, it's all in how we look at it, because what we see is what we get. Don't forget the Martian. Don't forget those people in 1938 that believed a reality that was not true. That was nothing, the, the, the facts did not, matter, did not reflect reality at all. And I believe, it, I believe in, in the spirit that it is so true. I, I want to drive this, this point home. I believe it is so true in the kingdom of God, in the spirit, that what we see, the reality, is seldom, seldom, indicative of what God is really doing behind the scenes. 
And, and scripture is full of examples of, of this fact that, that just because reality presents itself to us in a certain way, behind the scenes, God in his divine way and his ability to ordain things is working in ways that we cannot even see to turn that thing around and work it for our good. Let me give you, a, uh, let me give you another illustration. Elisha was the prophet that succeeded Elijah. If you remember, Elisha wanted a double portion, Brother Billy, of Elijah's mantle and anointing. And he got it. So following the kind of the history, Elisha succeeded Elijah. He was, Elijah was his mentor in a way. And he got that mantle. He got that double portion. And we see Elisha doing some mighty things. But to illustrate the point tonight, this, this most amazing mir a miracle... We pick up in 2 Kings chapter 6, and it'll be on the screen for you. 2 Kings chapter 6. Israel was at war with Syria. And Elisha would prophesy to the king of Israel and tell him where Syria was going to be in ambushing the army. And so the king of Israel would just avoid that place. And the, the plans of Syria, the enemy, would come to naught. So, you with me? So, it was like Elisha was giving the king of Israel secret intelligence. He was giving him the inside scoop. It was divinely revealed to Elisha. And so, the, Israel, uh, the king of Israel kept routing around the ambushments of the enemy. And this perplexed the enemies, the Syrians. It perplexed them. They were like, how in the world is this secret intelligence getting to the king of Israel so that our plans are thwarted and that we are not uh, able to overcome uh, Israel? Finally, the word got out. Somebody told them, said, there is a prophet by the name of Elisha that tells the king of Israel your plans and uh, he avoids the ambush. And so the king of Syria did what you would pretty much expect him to do. He took an army and surrounded Elisha and basically was about to take his life. They were about to attack and take his life. And that's where we pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14. The Bible says, Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came at night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God, the servant, that is the servant of Elisha, was risen early and gone forth, behold... The host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Elisha's servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not. Elisha answered, Fear not. For they that are with us are more than they that are with them. Now you think about that. It's Elisha and his servant, and they are surrounded by horses and chariots of the Syrians. And Elisha tells the servant, they that are with us are greater than they that are with the, the enemy. And the, you've got to know that the servant was perplexed. He's like, how can this even be? Because again, that's that reality. Reality shows that we're surrounded by the king or by the enemy king and his army. Reality says that it's the servant and Elisha, nobody else. That was the circumstance. That was the truth. That was what was being perceived. But then in verse 17, Elisha prays and says, Lord, I pray thee, 
Open his eyes that he may see. And I'll just interject, open his eyes that he may really see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. So do you see there's a, another reality? There's another truth at play here. There's a divine hand that's working in your favor even when you can't see it. I mean, I, I mean, I'm in the book tonight. This is not positive mental attitude. This is the truth of the word of God. That yes, your circumstance, yes, your dream may not have worked out yet. Maybe uh, uh, what, what you're praying about has not come to pass yet. That may be the reality. That may be the truth. But there is another hand at work. There is a divine component to your life because you're a child of God. Because you're a person of faith. And so God is working even when we can't see it. I want you to take courage tonight. The scripture says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. It says, when, it, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. I want you to know that the hand of God on your life, the divine favor that's on your life, the call of God that's on your life, the God-given dreams that are planted on inside of you, are greater than anything that would oppose you. I want you to know that it's greater than anything that would try to, to silence the voice of God in your life. It's greater than anything that would try to, try to, to keep uh, your prayers from being heard and being answered. I want you to know you have a host fighting for you. Take courage tonight. You shall live and shall not die. That's a promise from the word of God. You shall live and you shall not, not die. And so uh, as I uh, come to a conclusion tonight, as I bring this in for a landing, I'm out of time. I want you to know that, that there is, uh, again, that there's, there's, two, there's two ways to perceive your life. There's two ways to perceive this thing. There's the reality that seems so up front and up close. But then there's another reality, the divine reality that God gives us. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says this. I'm concluding with this verse. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says this. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. We know that scripture. We've heard it quoted. We've heard it preached. We've, you've probably quoted it yourself. But listen to how the message uh, paraphrase of the Bible states this. It says this quote. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. And so I want to encourage you tonight. God is working in your life. He is working in your circumstances. He is working in your dreams and your callings. And it's going to be far more than you can imagine. And I love this, or even that he says, or even that you could guess. Because so many times we try to guess what God's up to. We try to guess what he's going to do. It's far beyond what we could even guess and what we could even dream, even in our wildest dreams. So I ask you tonight, what do you see today in your life? When you look at your life, 
What do you see? Because what you see is what you get. I'm going to ask you to stand with me tonight. And let's pray one more time that God would help us to harvest this, this, uh, this message, this truth of the word of God, and that it would bring fruit in our lives. Jesus, I am so thankful for your word. I walk away encouraged by your word every time. Every time it challenged me to new heights and to greater places of faith. And I pray that tonight would be no exception, Jesus, that these truths of the word of God, Lord, would, would challenge us to look through the eyes of faith and that we could believe truly your word, that you are really working behind the scenes, Lord, to take us higher, to take us further, to take us beyond even what we could ask or think. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Let it be done. Amen. Amen. God bless you tonight, Grace Church. I love you. Be in prayer for the statewide youth rally Friday night, and we'll see you back here on Sunday morning for worship. God bless you in Jesus' name.